the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the Monday edition of The Ride Home. And I guess the question for a lot of us is, how will you fill your Sunday afternoons? <laughs> That's not a good football team Mm-mm, that, that we have. In, <laughs> what is the standard is the standard oh. for a JV team, as, uh, as Coach Tomlin that- talked about. Like an unbearable three hours of life. It was absolutely wretched. I kept thinking, surely this isn't going to... We'll turn this around. Yeah. This will click into gear. I don't know why you're eternally optimistic. I don't know why either. But it must be growing up here. I gave up maybe midway through the fourth quarter, and I should have yeah. long before that. I fell asleep because mm-hmm. I watched it last night. Okay. I, I fell asleep in the middle of the fourth, and I'm so glad that yeah. I did because I was so much happier sleeping of than course. watching that debacle. <laughs> yeah. So Kenny Pickett uh, in surgery, apparently. Uh, I already had surgery this morning. So what's the deal? I mean, how, what kind of surgery? I was thinking about this. I mean, I, I've had ankle surgery. What kind of surgery can you do on your ankle that you can be back on the field in two to four weeks? That seems... Uh, it seems optimistic. It seems crazy, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we just have to assume he's out for the rest of the year. The thing's a total debacle. It's a total debacle. Mitch Trubinsky? Uh, Mitch, I mean, what do you expect when you, you can't even... You don't even take any snaps with the team, I'm, I'm, and then you come in all of a sudden? It can't go well. This is not good. It's... Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. And Kenny? Kenny's really not the guy, is he? Well, and it's not Matt Canada. Matt Canada probably had a pretty good day yesterday. He's probably, he's probably happier yeah. than mm-hmm. we are. Well, as we heard uh, Ron Cook and Joe Starkey talking about this morning, right. it takes away the whole point of the rest of the season, which, of which is to see whether Kenny was the guy or not. Right. And so now if Kenny's not the guy, if we don't, if we don't even have Kenny to be able to judge whether Kenny's the guy, how are we going to be able to know whether Kenny's the this guy? This year's lost and probably next year's Oh, well. it's just right? really, really like sad. In this land of and the, the we're valley. wasting the time. We have players like T.J. Watt and yeah. Minka and Cam Hayward. And you trade, just, trade T.J. Watt. And we're, Watt. Just, we're, just, we're not trading T.J. Watt. He might, he might ask to okay, be tra- we're, he might ask. He might just say, I'm, I'm, "Can I can I go someplace where I know I could where win? I can, where I can win a the, playoff game? The clock game? is ticking. That's where all. I can sometime win a playoff game." Right. He's 29. Anyway, that's what he's sung to. Oh, it's just. Thanks for coming along, though. Anyway, a pick me up. yeah, we're going to try to think about other things today. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a five o'clock hour, we're so excited to have Dr. Neil Plantinga back with us. Yes, we are. Uh, Neil wrote a book that we have lauded. About a hundred times on our show over the last year called Under the Wings of God. So we're going to talk about uh, one of the chapters in that today. So if you have people in your life who you feel like are far away, far away from belief in God, from uh, commitment to Jesus' teachings, from whatever, uh, this segment is for you. Coming up at 510 this afternoon. Um, Also, a, a terrific piece in today's trib about the homegrown Pitt men's basketball team that had a 22-game winning streak 50 years ago. That's cool. 
now. That's so we'll excellent. talk about that. And of course, does this make sense? Coming up at 525. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Michael Youssef as well. Dr. Michael mm-hmm. Youssef with us in the four o'clock hour. And it looks like uh, Jim Leland is heading to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Jimmy. He's uh, smoking a But will in the he tunnel. wear the black and gold? Yeah. Is the question. My guess is no, although I wish he would. Right? He's got Colorado, Miami. He's not, yeah. What about the, tig- the Tigers, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah. We'll find out. How long was he with the Tigers? Do you know? Uh, that's a good question. I know he was with the Pirates for 11 years. That's a long time. He did great here. He did. Of course he did great here. Yeah, Jimmy. Chain smoking the whole time. Mm-hmm. Breaking out fights between him and Barry Bonds. <laughs> okay, let's go look at the news, Kath. It's a Weren't busy those news the days, day. John. Weren't yes. those the days? Without further ado, Kath, please give us the top four at four. It's Monday, December 4th, 2023. Number one. Can you turn that up just a little bit, John? There we go. Makes it so much better. It's your mojo. <laughs> Israeli troops and Hamas fighters are locked in some of their fiercest fighting of the two-month-old war, including at close quarters as Israel looks to decisively finish its operations in and around Gaza City. The Israeli military has essentially cornered Hamas fighters in two of their last strongholds in the northern Gaza Strip. Israel has conducted heavy heavy airstrikes in those areas since the fighting resumed over the weekend after that temporary ceasefire, including one strike Israeli officials said killed Hamas's battalion commander in the town of Shijaya, and which Palestinian officials have said caused hundreds of civilian casualties. At the same time, Israel's turning its attention to the southern city of Khan Yunus, the home of a Hamas leader, where they believe more hostages are being held. It's from today's Wall Street Journal. Number two, a Ukrainian military counteroffensive born in optimism has failed to deliver its expected punch, generating friction and second guessing between Washington and Kiev and raising deep questions about Ukraine's ability to retake decisive amounts of territory. So says today's Washington Post. In an in-depth piece that is definitely worth your time, uh, the Washington Post talks about uh, interviews they had with more than 30 senior senior officials from Ukraine, the U.S., and European nations that provide new insight and previously unreported detail about our, in America, deep involvement in the military planning of Ukraine's counteroffensive. Several things are included in there that I thought were interesting. Um, one is that Ukraine and uh, U.S. officials sharply disagreed at times over the strategy, the tactics, and the timing of what Ukraine was doing. They actually, John, war games the whole thing, mm-hmm. like trying to figure out, you know, what would happen when the U.S. Intelligence Committee had a more downbeat view uh, than the U.S. military did, assessing the uh, offensive at only 50-50. And many in Ukraine and the West have underestimated Russia's ability to rebound from battlefield disasters because I don't know how else to say it, John. They don't care how many people die. Right. It's just like World War Two. Yeah. They, they have four hundred. They have four hundred thousand troops in Ukraine right now. And the more die, the more they just send up. They just don't care how many of their own young men die. Anyway, it is a fascinating article in today's Washington Post. Number three, Britain's polar research ship, John, has crossed paths with the largest iceberg in the world, right outside of Antarctic waters. The RRS Sir David Attenborough, which is on its way to Antarctica for its first scientific mission, passed the mega iceberg known as A23A on Friday near the tip of the Antarctic Peninsula. Hmm. You want to know how big it is? Tell me. It is three times the size of New York City. Of Manhattan. 
No, of, of all, all of New, New York, York City, City, not just Manhattan. Whew. Yeah, more than twice the size of Greater London. Wow, that's so cool. Isn't it amazing? It started drifting in recent months and has now moved into the Southern Ocean. Anyway, wow. it was just luck that the Attenborough came up to it, and so they were able to do all sorts of testing around it yeah. and see like what it does to the waters around it. Man, we could read more about and that. moving slowly. It's just really interesting. Today's ABC News at number four. The tale began at 4 a.m. Wednesday, Carlingford, Australia, near Sydney, when a delivery driver working the night shift, shift stopped his van to make a quick stop at 7-Eleven, and closed-circuit footage of the scene shows a woman milling around the gas pumps, and then she climbs into the van and drives away. Why am I talking about this in the top four at four? Because of what was in the van, 10,000 Krispy Kreme donuts. How and big of a van? That is your top four at four. How big of a van holds 10,000 donuts? I, but it's it. that's a lot of donuts. That's a ton of donuts. Yeah. Uh, now, they're saying that, that perhaps the woman who's Stole the van, did not know what was inside. Just wanted to thought it was maybe something interesting, and then took off. Right, and then realized that it was. Has the van been recovered? The van has not been recovered. Mm, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Also, a Dunkin' Donuts truck was stolen in Connecticut. Be careful if you get your donut yeah, truck out there. But, but sadly, the, all the donuts fell out the back. <laughs> Let, let's take a quick break on this no intent, Monday. No indication the crimes were connected. There's no international donut ring. We leave the cream-filled mm-hmm. and the uh, honey-filled. Or the glazed. Mm-hmm. We go to the White House next. We are Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's the ride home here on Word FM. It's Monday. That means our first guest out of the shoot is Greg Clugston. Greg Clugston joins us as the SRN News White House correspondent. He brings us up to date about goings on in and around the nation's capital, the nation and the world. Greg, welcome back. Well, thank you, John and Kathy. Happy Monday. And uh, I guess here we are in December already. Is it too early for me to say Merry Christmas to you? No, it's not too early. No, well, thank good. you. Excellent. I hope you receive it gratefully. <laughs> uh, okay, so Israel and Hamas, the fighting, uh, well, first of all, it's back on. Uh, but I think more notably, it seems to be at its highest pitch, uh, the most um, feverish um, fighting since the start of the war. What do you know and what is the White House saying? You're, you're right, Kathy. As promised by the Israeli authorities, the Israeli government, uh, once the ceasefire was over and it, it sort of fell apart, you know, late last week, uh, after several days of, of releasing hostages and, and prisoners and those exchanges were taking place. But Israel did resume with its offensive, its military offensive. And it's been a very strong effort once again by the Israeli defense forces as uh, they go after Hamas. And again, it's the problem. It's the issue that's being raised. In in terms of on the ground in Gaza, are civilians getting you know caught up in this uh, in this military activity? And obviously, you have Israel and the U.S. and others are, are accusing Hamas of hiding in places like underneath and inside hospitals and and behind civilians. So it's very hard to go after Hamas without you know civilians getting in the way. The problem for the White House and for President Biden is he he's been very vocal about standing shoulder to shoulder with Israel. 
in going after these terrorists. But he's also starting to get more vocal pushback from his allies on Capitol Hill. You've got Bernie Sanders and another group of Democratic senators who are basically saying they want better commitments from Israel about what they're doing militarily before the U.S. might move forward on additional military assistance, in other words, money. And so the White House is feeling pressure from, you know, Israel and other allies of Israel, as well as Democrats on Capitol Hill. And that's where they that's where things stand right now. So it's a very delicate line that the White House has to walk, don't they, Greg? Absolutely. And the administration at the same time, John, is urging Israeli and Hamas negotiators to get back to the bargaining table and try and figure out how they can restart ceasefire talks. Uh, Israel and the U.S., they were over the weekend pretty, pretty uh, straightforward in, in accusing Hamas from, uh, you know, uh, blaming Hamas for having those negotiations fall apart. Uh, Israel and the U.S. and other partners were hoping that Hamas would put forward a list of the of the of the hostages that are still there and that list was never provided and then things kind of went south from there so they're still trying to get back to the t- back to the table what i've seen i've read a couple of these op-ed pieces over the last uh, week or so greg uh, basically saying once hamas has been eradicated then how do you rebuild mm-hmm. palestine which is really interesting it's like a foregone conclusion this is what's going to happen so what's going to be you know in the wings well, that is something else that the administration is already thinking and talking about publicly. You have the Secretary of State. Uh, you have even uh, the defense minister or the, uh, the chief of defense at the Pentagon, Lloyd Austin, talking about these in, in their negotiations with their counterparts as well. What does post-war uh, Gaza look like? Would it be an occupied territory? Would there be Palestinian uh, leadership in place? Um, those are all, of course, very thorny issues. And when you throw that into the mix of a combustible war situation that we're seeing right now, there are no easy fixes here. Mm. Greg Clugson is with us from SRN News. Greg, let's move from Israel and Hamas to Ukraine and Russia, war number two. Right. And so obviously you have the White House not only asking Congress for money to send to Israel's defense in the tune of some $14 billion. The White House is also wanting an additional $61 billion for Ukraine to beef up its military, to help its economy continue in the fight against the Russia invasion. And uh, a letter was released uh, either late last night or early this morning from the White House budget director that says essentially the money that has already already been allocated is about to run out by the end of December and that Ukraine would be essentially, you know, hit at the kneecaps on the battlefield if this money were to dry up. Um, So this has been a request that we've known about for a few weeks. The president um, has put forward this package of military aid all together with Israel and Ukraine, as well as some other items um, in a you know $106 billion package. But there is resistance from Republicans on this. They're hoping to have some border security changes here in this country at our southern border uh, as a part of the discussion. The White House isn't really talking about that right now. And uh, they're, they're essentially putting, putting you know, the press, the full, full court press on, on Congress right now. But we'll have to see if Republicans are, are willing to move on this matter. While we're talking about 
about that part of the world. Um, Evan Gershkovich, who is the Wall Street Journal reporter who's been detained uh, on charges of espionage in Russia, uh, I was going to say celebrates, but it celebrates is the wrong word, uh, marks marks 250 days of detainment. Um, Of course, a lot of attention to that on today's Wall Street Journal uh, homepage. Um, Any commentary from the White House about that? Well, this question comes up periodically uh, to White House officials, and um, their response, much like it is about any American who is who is detained overseas, wrongfully held in the view of the United States, is that efforts are continually ongoing to try and bring home these people, including Evan Gershkovich of the Wall Street Journal. The editor-in-chief, as you may be read mm-hmm. uh, in the paper today, said that uh, 250 days is too many. 250 days is too many, obviously. And so there wanting uh, to put that pressure uh, and and keep that on, not just Russia, but the United States as well. But uh, these diplomatic uh, discussions about uh, hostage releases, uh, obviously, it's very sensitive. And uh, as the White House and the administration, and it's not just this administration, but previous administrations have often said that they need to be very careful about what they say publicly about these negotiations mm-hmm. so they don't um, essentially sabotage their own efforts. And so uh, the, the latest uh, response essentially from the White House is we're still trying to get him home as soon as we can. God bless him. Greg Clugston from SRN News. Greg, uh, let's look at um, leave the wider picture of world news uh, and to go into your backyard. George Santos, the uh, drama queen of Congress, has been uh, <laughs> exiled. Talk to us about George Santos. Yeah, so we had this vote on Friday. Expelled from Congress, uh, you had 105 Republicans in the House join nearly all the Democrats. So uh, to kick him out of Congress, 311 to 114 was the vote. It was not even close. And, of course, this all came after that blistering ethics report about Santos's conduct. Um, and he was this, you know, freshman in Congress who, who was involved in scandal from, you know, moment number one on Capitol Hill in terms of uh, fundraising and uh, lying about his resume and the use of his budget and and all the rest. And so there were a number of Republicans, including the House leadership, the House Speaker and members of the leadership of the House in the GOP who voted to keep Santos in his seat. They were arguing that this would set a this sets a dangerous precedent to essentially remove a member of Congress who has not been formally convicted of wrongdoing. And they fear that there could be backlash when, for example, Democrats are in power in the future of the House. And so you've got, um, you know, essentially the majority of Republicans bucking the Republican leadership in the House on this vote, which was very interesting. Mm We're talking to Greg Clugston, SRN News White House correspondent. Greg, I want to ask you about, um, we didn't have a chance to talk about this last week, but the impassioned speech that Chuck Schumer gave um, about anti-Semitism before his fellow members in the Senate. And um, it just, it made me think of how, you know, uh, how many Democrats there are who are even... um, vocal, at least on on social media, about their support of uh, Palestinians or at least uh, even Hamas. Um, And so I wonder, you know, the the president himself has been impassioned in his defense of Israel. Um, How's that playing out in the Democratic Party? Well, I think it's been it, 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 it's sort of, you know, we often will say it depends on who you talk to, even within the party, because obviously there has been 
uh, bipartisan support for decades uh, for U.S. support of Israel uh, and that democracy, uh, that key player in the Middle East. Um, but what we have seen play out over these last seven or eight weeks, ever since the Hamas attack on October 7th and then the following offensive, military offensive by Israel, and the bloodshed and the civilian death toll that we have seen in Gaza as a result of that, even though they're going after the terrorists, um, that has started to splinter some of that support uh, within, even within, um, you know, members of Congress and obviously on Capitol Hill. But um, in, in the president's own party, you you did have Schumer warning that anti-Semitism is on the rise. He obviously was pushing for continued Isra- Israeli aid. And I think it's fair to say at the same time that even those, including President Biden, who have been very vocally supportive of the Israel military efforts, have at the same time said, look, there needs to be a, a, an ongoing effort by Israel to be as careful as possible so that civilian deaths are, are kept and, and, and injuries are kept to a minimum, if not zero. But unfortunately, in war, it's hard to ask for zero. Yes. Greg, let's move forward and talk about um, the uh, fourth Republican debate this week, of course. Of course, former President Trump still holds a very large lead in the polls, but that does not stop Republicans from coalescing. A winnowing field, but they will gather again. Can you talk to us about the nuts and bolts? Where will they gather and who will be debating? It's happening in Tuscaloosa, Alabama this time around, and it's going to be Wednesday night uh, for two hours, starting at 8 o'clock Eastern time. It's going to be carried on the News Nation uh, cable news channel and also on their app, and um, I think also the CW Network. So they're trying to get some broadcast (laughs) folks, because not everybody has News Nation on their cable systems. It's one of the smaller um, but up-and-coming, you know, conservative-leaning news networks. So you're going to have that as the the event location. Now, who's going to be there? Well, it's going to certainly be this uh, smaller than any of the other three debates. Um, right now, we do know that Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy are the three that have certainly qualified. Chris Christie's campaign said uh, uh, a week or so ago that they have met the, the requirements to uh, to meet the uh, to be on the debate stage, but the RNC has not yet confirmed that. So we should know in the next probably 24 hours if Chris Chris Christie will be on the stage. So we're looking at about three or four this time. I see. So that's Wednesday, 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. on the CW, which unfortunately <laughs> knocks out the Gilmer Pyle Pile reruns. And, and the, they're right. showing the entirety of Dawson's Creek, I believe, beginning then. <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, know, you see the winnowing field. Of course, the, the large lead that former President Trump holds. I mean, we're moving forward here regardless of indictments and whatnot. Yeah. We, we are. And, you know, there is consolidation, obviously, in the field. We, you know, we saw Tim Scott drop out. We had the former vice president, Mike Pence, drop out. Uh, and some of the others that are still running and haven't suspended their efforts but are not qualifying. They're not hitting the, the, the donor threshold or the polling threshold to, to make it onto the debate stage as laid out by the RNC. So it, it is consolidating. I know Nikki Haley, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. She has received uh, some support from, like, the co 
Woke Network in terms of the um, you know a big grassroots uh, conservative movement and and potentially millions millions of dollars of advertising. So that was a big boost for Nikki Haley. But her donors are are reaching out sort of privately and and quietly to some of the donors and backers of Chris Christie, saying we really need to consolidate further. And they're trying to test the waters to see if you know what the willingness on on the Christie campaign is to to back off and to throw support to Nikki Haley. Uh, they they hope that she could be, even though she still lags far behind Donald Trump, that she could become perhaps the one who could be the alternative to Trump when it comes to the actual primary voting. Right. This time a year from now, oh we gosh. will know, will we not? Unless it's a uh, unless it's a contested election, oh, don't even say oh, that. Yes. Unless unless, but, this, unless the Supreme Court's weighing in. <laughs> well, we have to say it because it's happened in the past, and yes. uh, uh, we seem to be on so many tracks headed potentially headed that way. I hope that's not the case. Oh, but I it, sure hope it's not the yeah. case too. Greg, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for chiming in with us. Uh, you give us a good overview of international, national, and uh, of course uh, local DC news as well. So thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. Greg, before you leave us, I just need to ask you about the upcoming uh, poem that you're going to be, I would assume, writing for the White House Press Corps. And will we be able to look forward to that over the next weeks? It is in progress right now. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. The, uh, crea- not- the, the creative journey is already, you're already Good. on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually start that right around Thanksgiving uh, holiday weekend, and that's what happened again this year. So it's uh, it's on the way. It's maybe half halfway finished, at least in my view. Nice. And um, I am scheduled to present it to the uh, the White House press basement uh, Christmas party on December fifteenth. So we're just oh. a couple of weeks away. Oh Good. my goodness! So then we can get it on the eighteenth of December, right? Just a few you days have- after. You absolutely can. Yes. Oh, so great. It's, will. it's thrilling to know that the, that the edifice is being built, even as we're speaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is the silver anniversary. This will be year number 25. Oh, wow. Holy Greg. smokes. I think there's a book in there, Greg. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very nice. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this uh, latest chapter goes. Excellent. The White House Basement, Potluck, and the Christmas Poem. Greg Clarkson, always a great pleasure. SRN News, White House Correspondent. Thank you. One of the questions for this Monday afternoon is, do you have Riz? Hmm. Do you have Riz? Well, apparently the people from uh, Oxford have picked Riz as their word of the year. Now, this word, maybe for people of a certain age. I don't know this word. Mm -hmm. Lexi, do you know this word? Do you have Riz, Lex? I do know this word. Mm -hmm. Oh, you do. Okay, so there it is. Okay, now how do you know this word? Mm Mm-hmm. From because what? I'm all over the internet. Because <laughs> because you're hip and living yeah, and a, living a connected lifestyle. <laughs> Something Riz. like that. Riz, I would say, uh, which I did not know, short for charisma, right? The actor Tom Holland apparently coined this phrase last year when he was talking you about... You mean Spider-Man, Tom Holland? Yes. Okay. He was talking about... Um, he said, uh, essentially during an interview, I have no Riz. He said he's in a relationship, he's locked up, so he has no need for Riz. Mm. And so from that, apparently the word, uh, the, the interview was viewed 58 million times, the word took off. Charisma, or the ability to attract someone from the opposite sex. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Your Riz. Mm-hmm. Lexi, you want to add anything to that definition? No, that's, that's about spot on. Okay. Right, thank you. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. How's your Riz? I <laughs> You know, I uh, might be a little tired at this point. I think at some point you retire. I mean, but you've got charisma. 
Well, I mean, I for sure try. Yeah. So you, That's the you've best got I can tell you. Yeah. Is that there's an attempt made. You're out there pitching. Okay. Right? Yeah. You've I mean, got Riz, Kat. Thanks. thanks, you guys. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Speaking of Riz, you know what I did? I mm. can't believe you. neither of you mentioned this today. Uh-oh. Without asking... I volunteered all three of us oh, to, put the, I to, saw put, that. to put the station Christmas tree I up. I saw that. <laughs> I told Lynn beforehand, uh-huh. uh, our office manager, that I would put it up if no one else oh, said that we were going to do it. Okay, so so then, I, my it. plan was already going to do I was going to do it anyway. Fabulous. Good. <laughs> and so then I volunteered you, Lexi. Yes. Oh, John, how do you feel? And John. Did, did not you, good. Did no. you also tell Lynn that you were going to do it? If no, no I did not. I, yeah. I got sucked into this. <laughs> isn't it good? It's no. Such a, it'll be so much fun. Lexi, Lexi isn't it the ride home with John? And Kathy? Yes, it is. Thank you. How, yeah, but you can't volunteer me for some duty. You well, just can't. I, well, I, I. But you just. I hate did. to tell you, I kind of did. I can't believe it. We can. How hard? And we will. It's a little tree. It's Listen, shorter than me, okay. and I'm short. The thing that gives me some confidence is one of these sort of put together trees, right? So. I've never yeah. done th- I've never done this before. Oh, you've, like, no, oh you, you've never had an artificial tree. No, so tree, you have to so fluff you don't it out and all these things. Well, it's not like that's rocket lights? science. Are there ornaments? We're going to call Astrobotic to yeah, come we, up and help us. Can I, I mean, just sit on the couch? It's not that type of a thing. I'll just sit you on the couch. you got to help us. And I'll, just, I'll, I'll like point at stuff. Okay. Move, move that over there. <laughs> oh, Could you help? I will get so annoyed Why? If that's what I'm happens. already annoyed at you because you volunteered me without me asking. Because how hard is it, John? doesn't even matter. Volunteering my duties. Oh, oh, John, you volunteered for a CPR course. Get out of here. We'll take a quick break. Come back. We do come back. Oh, Dr. Michael Youssef will join us leading the way with Dr. Michael Youssef next here on The Ride Home, Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. Happy to have Dr. Michael Youssef back on the ride home. Michael is the host of Leading the Way, which is heard right here on Word FM at 6.30 a.m. weekdays. Dr. Michael Youssef has a brand new book out. It came out in early November. It is titled How to Read the Bible as if Your Life Depends on It. Dr. Youssef, the, uh, the book sounds a little apocalyptic, does it not? It is, and deliberately so, because I used to be part of the mainline denominations, And I left when we lost the battle for the Bible, once the undermining of the scripture, and started with all kinds of, oh, it's your interpretation. Now they they deny it altogether. Now that same argument that I experienced or, or lived 40 years ago, that I'm reliving it with the evangelical churches. We have mega church pastor who's telling other pastors that we need to get unhitched from the Old Testament. They get mega churches uh, all over the country who are telling people, well, you can't really uh, defend the Bible and therefore uh, don't defend it. Uh, and, and the truth is, this book has taken me 52 years to write. In reality, because it it basically it's a condensing of my entire life and ministry and my conviction of the authority of the Word of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit as infallible Word of God. And so I show in the book and explain why from Genesis to Revelation, it's a one theme. It's one book. Of course, the Bible exposes people's failures and sin and judgment and so forth. Those are things that are important. The Bible doesn't take the characters and wash them and uh, starch them and put them in a cellophane paper and put them on a pedestal and say, now be like that. No, they show us warts and all. So the Bible is trustworthy and must be believed if a person is going to be eternally saved and making it to heaven must do what Jesus did. 
he affirmed the authority of the Old Testament, which was his Bible. He quoted uh, Noah, he quoted from Jonah, he quoted from Daniel. He basically said, I came to fulfill, I came to complete the Old Testament. I often say the Old Testament is like a house, but lacks a roof. And so the New Testament is that roof that makes that house complete. We have one book, not two books, like a play, Act 1, Act 2. One without the other doesn't make sense. And so those who are going around in the evangelical world saying, let's dump the Old Testament. It's like going and say, your your building is a beautiful building, but the foundation, we can't see it. We don't need it. Let's bomb it. Well, how long would the building stay? We talked to people on the ride home uh, Monday through Friday here, Dr. Youssef, and, you know, we hear a similar thing, that people who are working in areas, whether they're writing or pastors, who are focusing on the scriptures are kind of having an, uh, an explosion of popularity, so to speak. People are interested, and I guess there's probably not a mystery as to why, because all of us tend to turn to places where we can find actual truth. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As I call it, they're digging a hole, and the more they dig, the more they are buried in that hole. And unfortunately, um, for now, but you're exactly right, it's just a matter of time. The line of demarcation has already begun between the remnant, the true believers, and maybe God is already starting to separate the sheep from the goats Mm. uh, and the wheat from the chaff. Maybe the separation already begun. But regardless of that, I think you're exactly right. It's just a matter of time when the, the genuine believers, those who know and love Jesus, are going to say, I am t- I'm not going to put up with this. I need to go where I, people who trust the Word of God to be the Word of God. Dr. Michael Youssef is with us. His brand new work is called How to Read the Bible as if Your Life Depended Upon It. Michael, if someone does not read the Bible presently, what would your invitation at this second be to them? Well, this is what actually drove me to to write the book, because 10% of believers, of Christians, read the Bible daily. 18% read it uh, maybe once or twice a week. Now I'm saying, how can you say, I am breathing Uh, today, so I'm not going to breathe tomorrow. And that biblical illiteracy, really, it's what brings us full circle to what we started with. It's biblical illiteracy that's bringing this kind of mess that we're in morally, psychologically, spiritually, sociologically. And therefore, I am pleading with people everywhere, please read my book, but don't ever use any of my books as a substitute for the Word of God. This book is going to make you so excited, so enthusiastic about reading the Word of God that you will never stop reading the Word of God. That's really the purpose of the book. Dr. Michael Youssef, How to Read the Bible as if Your Life Depended Upon It. Dr. Youssef, uh, thanks so much. It's a very, a very timely uh, title that we definitely need in this country. So thank you for being with us uh, today here on The Ride Home. My pleasure. Okay, so we've got uh, two copies of How to Read the Bible as if your life depended upon it. If you'd like to have your very own copy and you've not won anything from Word FM in the last 30 days, how about we call our number 7 and 8 at 800-320-8255, 800-320-8255 to get your very own new copy of How to Read the Bible as if your life depends upon it from Dr. Michael Youssef. In early December, it's always good to get a little bit of 
good baseball news. Especially Sounds as a pirate. Good sports fan. news would be nice for yeah, any of us living right. in Western PA. I mean, yesterday as we suffered through another humiliating Steeler loss, oh. word broke that Jim Leland, he, the former pirate and still a Western Pennsylvania resident, has been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. That's terrific news. Congratulations, Congratulations Jim Congratulations, Jim. I mean, Jim Leland. Uh, I think my thing is, what took these guys so long? Right. Because his record, here's, here he is, um, uh, 18th highest win total in baseball history. Wow, really? Eight postseason appearances, Eight. three league pennants, a World Series championship with the Marlins in 1997, and three Manager of the Year honors. <laughs> wow. How about that? He is also, of course, Jim Leland, uh, one of the game's more beloved and respected leaders, and he will have his image next summer in the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, Pennsylvania. Now, um, uh, Jim Leland said this yesterday, quote, it's the highest honor you can get in our business, and I'm just thrilled, excited, surprised, flattered. All those words come into play when you're thinking about this. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Um, he knew he was on the ballot uh, for the uh, for the uh, this year's uh, not old timers, but it, the uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame kind of did a thing for managers and umpires, kind of like on the field people, but not necessarily players. They have a separate category for this, and so of course Jimmy Leland knew that he was on the ballot for this, but uh, the the Baseball Hall of Fame said to him earlier in the week, "We're going to meet at the beginning of the winter meetings with the baseball winter meetings, which are going." on right now. So you should hear from us uh, at the very latest 7.15 on Sunday evening, between 4 and 7. So uh, he said, you know, the time was coming by. It was like 6.30, quarter to 7. He said, "I I just had enough. He said, I've been standing by the phone waiting. And he said, I just went upstairs and I I laid down on the bed. And I was resigned that I just wasn't going to make it again, that I wasn't going to do this. And I was laying there in in my bad feelings. And he said, my son went upstairs. And um, at a little after 7 o'clock, the phone rang. And wouldn't you know it, it was the Hall of Fame. And all those bad feelings washed away. And and there I was. I said, he said, I thought when I didn't get up by a quarter to 7, it wasn't going to happen. So I just kind of went up and laid down. And then the phone rang. I couldn't believe it. Of course, Jim Leland, a favorite of fans and mm-hmm. reporters, beloved here in Pittsburgh. I mean, finally brought back some sustenance to a long-suffering right. team. Some respectability. Yeah. Uh, the Bees, the Killer Bees, Barry Bonds, Bonds. and Bobby Bonilla right. and Andy Van Slyke, those great mm-hmm. teams of the early 90s. You thought they were going to be this well, they were World so, Series champion. Well, they were so close to being in the World Series. and Yep. yep. Foiled at the last minute. Jimmy Leland won a combined. uh, His record is 1,769 wins across 1,728 seasons in the dugout. As I said, three division championships with uh, Barry Bonds. He led the Pirates in 1990, 91, and 92. And then, of course, he helped orchestrate the upstart Marlins' surprising surge to October glory in 1997. After a sour single season in Colorado and six years on the shelf, he helped 
bring back championship calendar baseball to Detroit with an eight-season run with the Tigers that included the American League pennants in twenty in 2006 and 2012. And even after he retired from Major League, the dugout, he kept winning. He was at the helm for Team USA's first World Baseball Classic in 27, uh, 2017. So, Jimmy Leland, congratulations. Uh-huh. So the question is, you know, it's up to him to decide how what team he goes in as. Does he go in as a pirate, as a marlin, as a rocky, mm-hmm. or as a tiger? Right. Because on everyone's plaque in the Hall of Fame, you know, there's like this beautiful plaque, which is made by a local company here in the city of Pittsburgh. These plaques, on their plaque, they've got the, uh, you know, the, the image the of the cap. ball player wearing the cap. Will he go in as a pirate? My guess is, if I was guessing, uh, th- that he won't. But I sure wish he would. Me too. Will he go in as a he marlin? He can't go in as a marlin. Who's going to go in as a marlin? Will he go in as a tiger? Yeah. He won't go in as a rock. No. Mm-hmm. But the pirates is what he should go in as, right? And he's been How many seasons was he here? 11. And he was, so he was longest with the pirates. Yeah, he was. He was longest with the Pirates, but... I heard him say yesterday, oh, I got my start with Pittsburgh. Well, you did much more than get your start here, Jimmy. I mean, heck, you made it work. But what... But just a heartbreaking ending. Truly a heart-wrenching... Sid Bream. Yeah, it's just... It's... So he probably has happier memories in Detroit. Probably so. They should go. They should have. A, he should be holding a little cigarette butt. He has to be holding right? a cigarette because he's always butt. in the tunnel. Because you couldn't smoke in the dugout. So there he was in the tunnel, and everybody knew it. Right? That's where. That's where he was. How old is he? I think he's seventy-six. Okay. I believe so. I can't. I can't say with certainty. Wonder Somewhere. how many cigarettes he smoked in oh his my life. Gosh. I mean, he's still alive. Oh, he's seventy-nine. Seventy-nine. He turned seventy-nine yeah. this month. He has remained, this is why he's going to go in, he has remained a special assistant to the Tigers. Why he's going to go in. He's going to go. Why didn't the Pirates do that? Why didn't the Pirates pick him up? I mean, as a special assistant. He's going to go in as a Tiger. I think That's he what is. That's yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, so he's had a longer association with the team yep. as on, on the whole right. there, as he has here. And of course, so the Pirates. Well, that's... Wouldn't it be great, though, to go to Cooperstown and see him be inducted? I've never been to Cooperstown. Oh, it's fabulous. Is it? Oh, if you're a baseball fan, I went to Cooperstown like in a bitter cold January. My kid was maybe 11. So it's been it's probably been a decade or more. We went up there. We just had a blast. And it's a good time to go in the dead of winter because the crowds tend mm. to overwhelm in the summer. Mm-hmm. And you just take your time. You can easily. We spent two, we spent two and a half days there. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're so deep into it. I mean, seriously, there's everything. I mean, there's Ty Cobb's shoes. There's Babe Ruth's bat. There's his glove. I mean, there's Roger Hornsby. There's Jackie Robinson. I mean, it's the the essence of baseball. Anything you want it. It's Hannes Wagner. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. There it is. Wow. There's Barry Bonds baseball with the asterisk. Yep. Right? There's all that. There's a whole section devoted to the steroid era. And at Cooperstown is just a little tiny. If it wasn't for the for the Hall of Fame, it'd be a blip. Yeah, I mean it's a little tiny town. There's a few pizza joints and a couple of restaurants. It's not that big of a deal. There's a lake nearby. It's a beautiful little place, and it's not that far from Pittsburgh. I don't know. Very enjoyable. What about Canton? Have you been there? 
I have not been to Canton. Oh, I have been yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, And that's how close that is, too. Yeah. I mean, Canton is super fun. Mm, yeah, I got to go to Canton. I mean, I right. can't. I, Didn't I would, you go there for your anniversary? Yeah, 10th anniversary. My husband took me there. He's a good man. Because he is a good man. Excellent. Uh, I, here's the thing. I don't think you could spend two and a half days there. In Canton? No. Well, you certainly could at Okay. Superstar. And I don't think I would even spend two days in Canton. I mean, we spent a whole day there, mm-hmm. but I think that was enough. Um, you overnight it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, we overnighted it. Um, but we spent one whole day there. And it is, I mean, the all I could think of when I was in there is it would really stink to go to the NFL Hall of Fame and be like a Jaguars fan because there's nothing there. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Monday, 5 o'clock hour of The Ride Home here on Word FM. Mm-hmm. So, it's uh, gray and kind of cold, yep. but there's no snow. Mm-mm. There's been no sleet. We haven't had any bad weather. No. I mean, it's already December 4th. We haven't had any appreciable snowfall. Nothing. I don't really think there's anything we can complain about. I mean, the weather during yesterday's Steeler game was holy, awful. Holy, that was crazy. I mean, not as bad as the football from yesterday's so game, but it was... Those delays, that's a new thing, isn't it? It I mean, started... I mean, whenever there's so lightning... Yeah. Then they clear the stadium. But I don't know. That's I remember weird. that happening maybe six or seven years ago. Really? Yeah. It's a weird game. That went, game went on forever. Didn't it? it was I like, was so what? happy. I watched it on oh, tape. Of Fast you were. forward over the whole thing. I was so glad. No, it, was a, it was a long afternoon of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got up there during one of the breaks and I was like, I'm just going to make some junk food. I don't even care. <laughs> I, I, I did. I went and got the. What'd uh, you make? Um, little uh, spring rolls. Oh, great. In a, what's that thing called? The hot... Uh, the microwave? The uh, air fryer. Oh, the air fryer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the <right>. hot thing. <laughs> yeah. No. We bought some spring rolls at Costco, and I was like, oh, yeah. And they like these little nice chunks with some plum sauce. Okay. It's very nice. Great. Yeah. I'm sitting there. Do, 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 was, do. do you do that during the rain delay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the heck am I going to do? And you were thinking you were going to come back to some sort of like representation of Steeler football. No. no. Oh, my Had I known, God. I would just shut it off and take it a nap. Uh, Such is life. Anyway, coming up in... In this hour of the program, really excited to have Dr. Neil Plantinga back with us. Uh, he's going to be with us in just a couple of minutes to talk about his new book. And more than the book, he's going to be talking about what it means when there are people in your life who are far off. I don't mean far off physically or geographically, but people who are just far away from God, disinterested, resentful, angry, whatever it is. And maybe you're that person. Um, who's hearing me talk now. Anyway, if you are, then stay close because we're going to have a conversation about what it means to be far away from God in just a little bit. And uh, for the rest of this hour, 24 best places to go in 2024. I'm looking forward to that. How about 23? Where'd you go in 23? Well, yeah, but I mean, 23 is almost over. So if you want to go somewhere, you have to hurry up. Anyway, and does this make sense coming up at 530? Very nice. Okay, good. But before we do any of that, I want to talk about a great article in today's Trib, John, about the uh, homegrown pit men's basketball 
basketball team that won 22 games in a row 50 years ago. That's so cool. Now, here's the thing. This isn't a, a sports show uh, that we do here uh, every day. Although we do talk However, about However, we do talk about sports a lot because we love sports. And But the thing that jumped out at me about this article is that the people who made the difference in uh, 1973 Pitt men's basketball were all people who grew up here. Locals. They were all locals. That's so cool. They were all locals. Um, It says December 4th, which is today, 1973, Pitt men's basketball started a 22-game winning streak that stands today as the longest in program history. There were 18 and 16-game streaks during the Jamie Dixon years. Ben Howland's 01-02 team won 22 in one stretch, but needed 25 games to do it. But there never has been a longer period of sustained success at Pitt to compare to what, what Coach Buzz Rydell, and I'm guessing that's how you pronounce the name, his men stacked up one victory after another, going 83 days between defeats. That's great. The unique aspect of the story, again, reading from today's trip, is that maybe Rydell and assistants Fran Webster and Tim Gergerich didn't need to travel the U.S. looking for players because there were 18 on the team and 12 were from Western PA. Excellent. Um, they said, we were playing for more than Pitt. We were playing for our hometown because we all had Pittsburgh blood in us. So the article goes on to talk about Kirk Bruce, who's from Beltsuver, hmm. Billy Knight from Braddock, Tom Richards, point guard from Moon, Mickey Martin of Baldwin, Crafton native and Canavan High School's Jim Bola, Ken Wagoner from Beaver Falls, yeah. Scott Nedrow from Ringgold, Bob Shrewsbury from Avalon, Frank Boyd from Oliver High School, Marvin Abrams from Highlands, and Sam Fleming from Fifth Avenue. Outstanding. That's just like tapping the surface of what the article is about. But if that interests you um, and you're longing for a time when Pitt had a sustained streak like that, Pitt basketball didn't look very good uh, against Clemson yesterday. No. So that was that was their first loss in the ACC. Uh, but anyway, the point is that Pitt has a distinguished history in men's basketball. And to hear uh, all of the men who came from the Pittsburgh area to make it happen 50 years ago, starting today, uh, it's a good story. Yeah, it is a good story. But we're spending a lot of time in Pittsburgh sports looking back, are we not? Yeah, I know. Right? I know. Oh, the glory days, right? Jimmy Leland and the Pirates. I know. And uh, the Super Bowls of past Whatever. and Pitt football. It just feels like, come on, we're going to turn the corner? No, you know what? This is the time of year. I was thinking about this last night after the game. When you just decide that you love the game for the game and you're going to watch other teams and you're going to enjoy it. That's where I am. Okay. Right, that's fine. It's always better, though, when your team's in it. Of course. Isn't it? Yes. Uh, who wants to watch the other teams? Well, okay. <clears throat> I mean, seriously. I'm going home tonight to watch uh, Don't Tell Me. Because I still don't know who won the Eagles and 49ers last okay. night. I kind of kept myself in a little bubble so that I wouldn't hear it. And we're going to watch it tonight. I'd rather watch a movie. Would you? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, no, I, I, like, I like the game. I mean, and I, it is nice when it's not your team because you don't yeah, have the angst involved of, in it. Yeah, right? I, I feel I more that. emotionally healthy. I know. Watching Philadelphia and San Francisco. All right. Good grief. Anyway, coming up next, Neil Plantinga. We're going to talk about all who are far away. You've reached us. Thanks for coming along for today's Ride Home. All of us have family members, friends, people, you know, who are, we love and know and want them to know the love of Jesus. But how do you do that? How does that work? 
Dr. Neil Plantiga is back with us again. Uh, Neil Plantiga is a senior research fellow at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship and President Emeritus of Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He is the author of many books, of which uh, the, the chief among us here in the past year or so has been a, a little book that is just deeply packed with theological and Christian truth, Under the Wings of God, 20 Biblical Reflections for a Deeper Faith, and we've been going through it. Neil, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. So, Neil, um, you've written here in a meditation on the second chapter of Acts. So for people who are familiar with the scripture, uh, they would recognize that as Pentecost, which is the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. For people who've never read the Bible, they think, OK, I've, I've probably never heard the word Pentecost. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit came, Neil? Well, it's not as if the Holy Spirit had never been there before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pentecost is a particular outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on the disciples to launch the mission of the church. And it was accompanied by some um, signs, uh, some uh, extravagant signs, tongues of fire, uh, a mighty rushing wind, and some miraculous ability of the disciples to speak and understand languages uh, that they hadn't learned. But the real miracle of Pentecost has to do with the um, work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating human hearts. So it's a major celebration of the church and uh, launches the Christian mission. Hmm. Neil, I think we're all familiar, most of us familiar with the uh, the idea of Pentecost and the tongues of fire, the little flames over the apostles' heads. C- can you talk to us about that from your perspective? I mean, is that a reality? Was it a fire over someone's head? What does that look like in your life? Well, all the artistic portraits of this event show almond-shaped flares over the heads of the disciples, but Luke doesn't tell us exactly where the fire the fires were. Um, Maybe they were over their hearts. Maybe they were um, in their neighborhood. We don't know exactly where those flames were, but I take the account uh, at face value that there were visible flames and that they got everybody's attention. Mm -hmm. So they got everybody's attention. Um, to what end? So uh, those of us who've been in the church for a long time, I, at least I always associate Pentecost with people speaking in tongues. So that right. was one of the things that happened. What else? Well, there's the there's a tornado sound, sound of a rushing wind. There are these um, flames, and there are miraculous speakings and understandings of languages that people hadn't learned before. All of these uh, tell us that something mighty is about to happen. They tell us that God is at work and that something is just about to be unleashed. They are not themselves the main event. They are attention getters for the main event. And the main event is? That Peter preaches to fellow Jews from around the Mediterranean basin and accuses them of having crucified God's Messiah. And the first miracle is that they don't kill Peter. Uh, The second miracle is that they are stabbed to the heart and say, what shall we do? Hmm. What shall we do? Which is surrender to a life in Christ. 
Exactly. So um, what they want to know is, since we have done this horrible thing and they um, implicitly confess to it, uh, how can we make things right? Uh, What can we do? And Peter says, repent, believe the gospel, accept the Holy Spirit, and the church is on its way. And so to those who are far away, whether it's geographically, right, there is uh, the apostles fanning out around the region and then eventually around the world, but uh, in a deeper way to those who are far away who have never heard of Christ or have heard of Christ often, but for whatever reason, cannot and will not accept the truth of Christ in their life. Yeah, Neil? Well, as you began by saying, we all have um, folks like this among our loved ones, Mm -hmm. and we uh, are troubled um, that the gospel does not seem alive to them. Um, But Peter says the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far away. And uh, Luke uses the word makran for far away. And that's a word that Luke has used before in um, very striking settings. For example, in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, while the prodigal son was still far away, his father saw him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him and welcomed him home. Mm. Uh, Far away means, you know, 150 yards away, something like that. Um, In the Luke 18, in the parable of the Uh, Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee stands in the center of the temple and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, not like this tax collector here. And Luke says that the tax collector was standing far away. He was uh, far away from the center of of, uh, Jewish acceptability because he did this dirty job for the Romans to collect taxes. Uh, Peter himself um, after he has denied Jesus, followed him at a distance, um, far away. And so when Peter says the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, I think Luke means us to understand that Peter believed that he himself was one of those who was far away, Mm -hmm. but that the promise was for him as well. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a spine chilling uh, moment in the gospel of in the Acts of Luke and uh, tells us something about uh, God's long, long reach for those who are far away. So uh, the call, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. You know, that's that initial step towards humility, confession, uh, acknowledgement of sin, uh, not going to God and saying, but look at all the good things I've done. Just going to God instead with... I'm a wreck. Yeah, I'm a wreck. Right. And my thought is that um, that's the usual way in which God gets somebody's attention by um, doing a mighty work in their hearts so that... Maybe for the first time in their lives, they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
But God can get at a human heart from a lot of different directions. And uh, the evidence that God has been there um, is not just, you know, one typical pattern. So this is a classic pattern, and um, Luke shows it to us. But we can never limit um, the approaches of God's mercy. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you've been a Christian for a a healthy amount of years, you tend to forget, at least I do, tend to forget the miracle of what it is to have Christ in your life. Mm -hmm. And so when you see others and you think, please, Lord, come to them. I mean, yes. we, we take it for granted in some way, but it is it is the work of the heavens and the universe and, and the Lord Almighty giving us this great gift. And I don't want to minimize it or downplay it in any way because I know the world needs it so greatly, Neil. Yeah. Well, those are wise words, John. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, one of the things uh, we come to understand is that the regeneration of a human heart is a mighty work of God. Human hearts can be cold, they can be hard, they can be calloused, they can be indifferent, they can have all kinds of barriers and defenses against the oncoming gospel. But when God does the work of regeneration, this is a miracle no less in power than Uh, creation itself or the resurrection of the dead, uh, the regeneration of a human heart by the mighty work of God. Yes. And I think if you're fortunate enough, and if you're certainly an older person, we've all seen it. I believe that a lot of us have seen this, where you give up hope for family members or a friend, and you think, Lord, this is just never going to happen. And then... God finds a way, and a little tiny crack becomes a wider gap, and before you know it, that person has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and there's exaltation in your own heart and in your family, but of course, the the new believer as well, so it yeah. does happen, and I believe that prayer is the essential element to move this energy forward, that God will work and, and see the brokenness of this person and change their lives like he's changed yours and mine. I think that's exactly right, and that a good part of our faith has to do with uh, waiting on God to do the miracle we long for in the lives of those we love so much. The book is called Under the Wings of God, 20 Biblical Reflections for a Deeper Faith. We've been talking to Dr. Cornelius Plantinga. Um, Neil, we only have a minute left, Um, but let me ask you about... uh, those of us who are hearing this conversation, John and I, who are part of it with you, we think of the people in our lives who we, you know, we long to, for them to have a relationship with you, with God. And, um, but how, how do we pray? Um, do you have any, I don't know, tips, any experience in this regard? How do you, you know, move on day to day? What I do, and, um, I can't claim it's the, Um, all-purpose recipe, but what I do is to bear in mind, uh, always at the back of my mind, the people I am longing to see um, converted, uh, revolutionized, um, moved into a life of faith. And I have a steady um, little pressure in the back of my mind that uh, wants to refer them to God. And I pray that I myself may be a worthy um, model, um, 
uh, testifier to the gospel so that they are never um, never diverted or distracted from the gospel by anything that I would do or say, but that they would find something in how I conduct my life that makes them see that this is attractive, compelling, important, and finally uh, life-changing. Amen to that. Neil, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and for your great wisdom. Thank you, John. Thank you, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Listen, if you're looking for a Christmas book for someone you love, and maybe they don't want an 800-page book, and maybe it might be too daunting or intimidating, this, this is, is neither. But it is. there's so much depth to it, mm-hmm. and so much that we can learn from it. Under the Wings of God, 20 Biblical Reflections for a Deeper Faith. Does what make sense? Just thinking of Jello. Jello. Yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna make some Jello tonight. What are you gonna make? <laughs> I'm gonna make. It's this one I made up, where you just take uh-huh. two, you take two apples, and you chop it up, and you take a whole orange, and you chop it up, mm. and you add it to raspberry Jello. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's certainly not fancy. Apple and orange raspberry yeah. Jello. But you know, you're adding it to something. It's completely artificial. Right. It's artificially colored. It's artificially Everything. flavored. And it's jiggly. And that's right. weird. So why are you making it? Well, because I really like it. You like jello? Yeah, like a lot. Really? And that's so low rent. No, it's don't don't no, judge it yourself is. on it the is. taste. No, it is. I mean, you know. But tis the season. Is it? I think the so. Jellos, this is a jello yeah, season. I feel like it is. Does right. does jello make sense? Not really. <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't. Because, oh, like you said, it's so artificial and so. It's so. It's like. Welcome to 1958. I know. But you like it, so that's enough. I just. I, I don't just like it. I love it. Really? You look forward to it. And. I don't know what that says about me, huh? but I, I keep coming back for more. Do you like squish it around in, you know, like in your mouth? No, I, like I don't like that. that. I do that all the time. No. It's very refreshing to me. Refreshing. Raspberry Jello with apples and oranges. Stop by the Evans house this evening because the fifties are back. Okay, All right, well, I could serve it in one of those like mint green casserole dishes that were nice. white inside. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The side of cottage cheese. That's oh, it's, okay. Good. Well, listen. Since you're going back, I'm going. Okay, well, way so back you're saying too. no, it doesn't. It doesn't and make I'm, any and sense. I'm saying, I'm saying, I, I think, I All think right. it does. I'm going to go back to. We've got a little time warp here. Does this make sense? Men's fedoras. Yes. Everything about it makes sense. I have my dad's fedora in a special place on top of my dresser. He I look at it every day. My dad wore a fedora. Did he? Like all the time. Really? He had summer fedoras, winter fedoras. Yeah. I mean, the picture in my mind of, of my dad is him wearing a, a hat. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. totally makes sense. I bought one maybe seven or eight years ago. I can't muster the courage to go out in public. Because you just feel like it's weird. Because it's like, it's, it's like, look bold. at me, look at me. But I love it. I like wearing it around the house. I put it on, boom, 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 boom. Then it gets a little dusty and I clean it off. It looks good on me, but I just don't you have. You can't take the extra step. No. I think you should take the step. The fedora. You should do it. I don't know. Fedora makes sense, It's John. a lot better than a ball cap, isn't it? I like a ball cap, too. It's I a like more hats. adult 
Re- well, preference. for sure. Makes sense. So here it is, December 4th. It's hard to believe. Yeah, year, this year? I don't know. You see this every year. I don't know. But the year's year special. I don't know. Did you travel at all this year? Where'd you go? Yeah, I went to Nashville. Okay. Spent a week in Nashville. I think that was the only place I went. Last Christmas, I went to New Jersey. Doesn't count. Oh, I went I went away for the summer vacation, as did you. I had a summer vacation. Yeah, I went to grateful. Maryland, and mm-hmm. you went to North Carolina. I did. I went to the Outer Banks. Okay. Totaled my car. <laughs> Sorry. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> it is. All right, so uh, Traveler, Condé Nast, the uh, travel magazine. Yeah, I lo- listen. Man. If I could get that regularly, Subscri- the print... And I would have the time to just sit on my sofa and look through it. Every, Why don't you I would, subscribe to it? Because I'll never have time to look at it, and then it will pile up, and I'll just be filled with self-loathing. Do you subscribe to any magazine? Yes. What do you subscribe to? Better Homes and Gardens, Southern Living, Country Home. Oh, my gosh. Three. Three. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How often do I read them? Never? You don't read them? I do When read you're them, excited whenever they come? I, I am. I get very excited when they come, and then I don't look at them. Mm-hmm. It's very stupid. Yeah. Uh, we, we, out of nostalgia, I subscribe to <laughs> Birds and Bloom, which which sat on my in-laws' uh, dining room table. Mm-hmm. Whenever we go visit, I go, oh, there's Bird and Bloom. So I subscribed to, thinking, you know, I was uh, honoring my wife, going, oh, look, I need a little piece of home there for you. She was like, why? That's the worst magazine. Why did you subscribe to that? So it's kind of funny. On fr- uh, Thanks, Saturday, honey. Saturday came the last, <clears throat> the last edition. Of of it after my sub- sub- subscription runs out, which I was kind of relieved. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, Travelers, uh, Condé Nast Tra- Travelers Magazine, they have the 24 best places to go to to travel in 2024. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, so we're three weeks away. We're making plans for next year? Yes. Okay, where are we Wouldn't going? Wouldn't it be nice, okay? Okay, so uh, there, these places, first of all, if it's Condé Nast, you have to think you have to have deep pockets. Well, yeah, because not, everything there. You're not going like, to the Outer Banks. No, or and Nashville. they're not going to Nashville. I promise no, they're you not. that. Okay, so I, I believe this may be in some sort of. Uh, yeah, it's in alphabetical order. So uh, let me just take you to the very first place, which is Accra, Ghana. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ghana. Accra okay. has steadily been cementing its reputation as the continent's capital of cool. Yeah. A reimagination of Pan-African heritage has ignited the city's foodies, leading the way in the Ghana food movement, a network of food change makers intent on making uh, sustainable food sexy again. I don't mm-hmm. know what that means. Uh, with the May 2024 opening of its link-up kitchen in the buzzing Osu neighborhood, this meeting place test kitchen will house the movement's popular dine and dance series. In Akagana, so then, so then they go into Ghana. Uh, they talk about the art festivals and all the different gatherings, the music, the state of the art cultural institution coming. The Pan African Heritage Museum will open in 2025. I mean, I've never been to Ghana. I'd no, lo- I would love, love to, to go, go to Ghana. Mm-hmm. I would love to go. Yeah, how about Budapest, Hungary? Oh, listen, that's been on my list Has for it? five years. I, it's right on the Danube. Yeah, the uh, the Parliament building is one of the most beautiful buildings, in my opinion, Really, in Europe. It's spectacular, and I would love to go there. Okay. Budapest. You, I, well, believe me. Are you offering me a trip? No. Okay. Is there anybody out there? <laughs> yeah, that would like to offer us a trip to Budapest? Right. Or come with us. Well, yeah. Come with us. Sure, why not? Okay, here's where I want to go. 
French Polynesia. Fine. Can you imagine? Oh, would that be something else? Mm -hmm. All eyes may be on Tahiti this year, which I'm not quite sure why. Uh, A village on the south coast and home to one of the deadliest waves in the world. That's it. Uh, So... uh, how about this? 2024, the Paris Olympics in competition, the, the surfing section will be held in Tahiti. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But French Polynesia, a sublime blue territory of 118 islands, continuing its dedication to mass tourism. Mm, I don't know. Mm. I don't want to be where the masses are. No. But just the words. But the whole- yeah. Yep. The vibe yep. of French Polynesia. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that'd be very nice. Uh, long way. Long, long way. But so what? 118 islands? That'd be so cool. How about um, the Kimberley in Australia? Pristine wilderness, newly accessible by cruise, and First Nations cultural immersions. Okay. Talk about a long way away. Australia? Listen, I I went to Indonesia, which is right above Australia, Mm -hmm. and you have to really want to go. Because it's it's a a trip. It's a long way. I mean, I think think it was 16 hours to Tokyo, and then it's another nine hours from Tokyo. That's how far south it is. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to go there for a week. No. Right? Western Australia's remote Kimberley is one of the world's last wild frontiers, known for its untouched wilderness of towering cliffs, cornflower blue waters, and ancient Aboriginal rock art sites. Always difficult to explore, but that is about to change because in 2024, the region is set to welcome an influx of cruise lines. Okay, all right, so you might want to get there before the cruise lines show up. Mm Uh, Kobe, Japan. How about Japan? You been to Japan? Never. Well, Mm -hmm. well, I was in Japan on the airport for half a day. Yeah, that doesn't count. I mean, you need to be like, right. But Kobe, Japan. I'd love to go to Japan. How weird would it be to go to Japan? So totally different. So Kobe, that's where where the beef comes from. That's right. Yeah. Uh Kobe, Japan. Best known for its euphemous uh, beef and design forward spaces. But uh, a lot of culture going in there. Sandwiched between steep mountains mountains and sparkling seas in southwestern Japan. The port city of Kobe seriously strengthening its design credentials. Taking center stage is Vogue uh, Kobe, a new creative space that is opening in 2024. I'd love to go to Japan. Sure. Mm-hmm. How about Madagascar? Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Madagascar? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, an otherworldly land of undiscovered species and bizarre biological riches. The rugged, remote Indian island ocean of Madagascar always promised to upend visitors' senses and logistical prowess. I'd love to go there. Uh-huh. The Namburuka National Park uh, opened, opens as well in 2024. It's making seven luxury safari tents your portal to a landscape of baboas jutting from the formations of limestone knives. Mm. Okay, sure, why not? Okay. Um, let me see where else you want to go. How about, uh, let me see, I'm just looking through all these different, oh, Mongolia. You were there already. I've been to Mongolia, yeah. And okay, what was your impression of Mongolia? It's vast and it's barren. I mean, you say, people say, it's the middle of nowhere. It is the middle of nowhere. I mean, we drove, you drove, 
hour after hour after hour after hour after hour, and you do not see another human being. Oh, my gosh. I've never been to a place like that. The planes just spread out. It went on forever. Finally, after literally, we drove for five or six hours, and someone said, look, there's a little house. We drove to the house, and there were these cowboys, these Mongolian cowboys. And then shortly thereafter, there were these herds of yaks and some sort of buffalo-like. And one of the guys in the group, this big six-foot-five Australian guy we were with, they were like, the Australian cowboys, as you might imagine, these were little, these were little guys. You mean the Mongolian cowboys? Yes. Okay. Maybe 5'5". Five, five. Maybe. Really? They, they kicked the butt of this Australian guy we were with. I mean, they literally, one of the guys picked him up and body slammed him. <laughs> this is some kind of trip to Mongolia. It was a great, I mean, because the guy was, you know, he was a great guy. You know, as you might, just a big, raucous Australian guy, just so full of life and energy. And he was like, yeah, I'll wrestle you. And they were laughing. And, you know, it was, it was done in, you know, in fun. There was no anger. Okay. But these little Austri- this little Mongolian guy, he literally picked this guy up on his shoulder and body slammed him. So we left with with our, tw- our tail between our legs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now, how about the Grand Tour episode of oh. Mongolia? Is that an incredible piece of television? <sighs> it sure is. Oh. Yeah, that's highly recommended that's as well. That's just incredible. How about Quebec? Uh, Quebec? I love Quebec. That's close by. Have you been there? Uh-huh. Oh, very nice. They're talking about Quebec City? Uh, Quebec, just- Canada. Off the beaten track, natural, nature and cultural immersion. Oh, there's the buffalo or the yaks. Mm, in Mongolia? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Quebec. You haven't been to Quebec? I've not. Oh, my gosh. Quebec and Montreal are two such beautiful cities. Really? Beautiful cities. You should hit them both in one really? trip. Yeah. Spend four days in each place. The old town of Montreal is so rich with beautiful architecture and the streets and the and then the old town in Quebec it's like you it's like you instantly you go down a funicular um I stayed at the um the Chateau Frontenac which is at the top of the hill overlooking the St. Lawrence River you take the funicular the incline down you, it opens and you're in the Quebec old town lovely it's like magic no kidding it's incredible you should it's it's beautiful mm. if you can survive it Going in the winter is really beautiful. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I've been there twice. One in the winter, one in the summer. See, I don't envy cars or houses or anything like that. I, I care not for that particularly. What I envy is those who travel. Travel. I'm with you. Those who can go I'm out and you. see the world. I agree. Man, because that's... Okay, and as we leave the segment, I'm going to pull up This is Budapest. Oh, my God. I'm what is that? I'm showing John this a picture. Grand... That's the Parliament building it's so on the Danube. It's so beautiful. This, out of all the places you mentioned, this is the place I would want to go. Oh, my gosh. Pray. Let 2024 be a year of travel. It's been a long time, John, since we've done a celebrity birthday. Mm. And so I thought that closing out the Monday edition of the Ride Home would be a perfect time to offer one up to you. Uh, One caught my eye this morning. Okay. And it's Jeff Bridges. The dude abides. Mm-hmm. He does abide. The dude. Uh, on his birthday. Jeff Bridges. I mean, what a career he's had. Oh. Well, there's a film that he did maybe just a couple of years ago. One of the great films, like a, a noir. He plays a um, a sheriff in a Texas town. Boy, what's, what's that? True Grit? No, no, no. This oh, is like what? a modern day story. Listen, True Grit is oh, one great of film. my top 20 favorite films. I love True Grit. Uh, I think oh, it's called, gosh. I think the film is called Hell or High Water. 
Okay. It's a great, great movie. Yeah, uh, I'm going to look at that. Let, let's, let's look that up. Would you mind? Uh, I, I think it's the, uh, Jeff Bridges, like maybe from a, just a few years ago. Anyway, um, Sea Hunt. Sea Hunt. Um, that was his dad. His dad, but he he uh, appeared Lloyd. in Sea Lloyd Bridges. Mm-hmm. He appeared in Sea Hunt mm-hmm. as a kid. His brother, his brother Bo. Uh huh. The Baker, fabulous Baker Boys. Right. Remember that movie? Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, it's a long, long career of really mm-hmm. excellent work. Uh, old. He's an old dude. How old uh, do you think he is? Seventy. Seventy-eight. Seventy-four. 74. He looks oh. older, doesn't he? He looks a lot older. Mm-hmm. And he has maximized that. He sure has. He has absolutely. Okay. Well, you, you hear him talk now. He's got that old man and sort he, of... And doesn't he uh, sound uh, fabulous? He does. He's got that like sort of gumbo sound. Okay. So I'm going to bring up a couple uh, classic films okay. of Jeff Bridges. Right. Uh, the Big Lebowski. <laughs> now listen. It's not for kids. No, it not, it's not for a lot of people. Right. It's not for a lot of people. Kids. It's definitely not for kids. No. But I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's a it is John a classic. Goodman, yep, uh, Totaro, right? Uh, John Totaro. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, mm. The little guy um, who he bowls with, you know. Oh, um, former, former New York City firefighter. Uh, everybody's out there yelling at the radio. I mean, just that's a great. It's a great cast, and it's just a ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous movie. The rug. It is an absolutely ridiculous yeah, yeah. movie in every way. Uh, oh, Julianne Moore was in that too. Uh-huh. Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. And mm-hmm. who's the guy that who, uh, who passed away? One of the Philip great, Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Yep. Who plays so far against type. I mean, so far sorry, against it's type. It's a really good... Yeah. Uh, Crazy Heart, which I never saw. Oh, he plays, a, again, a kind of a country cowboy down on his luck. That's a good film. Is it? Oh, it's an excellent film. Doesn't surprise film. me. Yeah. Uh, I already mentioned True Grit. I can't express how deeply I love that film. So True Grit was a remake of the John, John Wayne. Wayne classic. Mm-hmm. And only the Coen brothers has the chutzpah to think. Because, I mean, the original True Grit... Off the charts. Excellent mm-hmm. film. Excellent film. I think this one's so much better. I think it is. It's so much more beautiful. Sure. It has so much more pathos to yeah, it. It, it has more grit to it, mm-hmm. to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. I think it, I just absolutely film. love it. Starman? Oh, yeah. That's from the 80s. Uh-huh. It's from 84. It's a video game thing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, the Old Man. <laughs> The series, The Old Man. Yep. Mm-hmm. John Lithgow mm-hmm. and him. Yep. Um, and On may- the road. And maybe from Arrested Development. I can't think of what her name is. It is. I loved it so much. Yep. It got interrupted by COVID. Uh, it only I think it only did one season. Am I right yeah. about that? It was a quick, abrupt season for me. Yeah. But apparently there's season yeah, two season in the Yeah, season two is coming. Right. He ended up getting cancer, Jeff Bridges did, yeah. mm-hmm. right. but a treatable kind. But it ended up setting back production, the production. Along with COVID. Yeah. Jeff Bridges is one of those old, sort of rare Hollywood guys who has been married forever. Yes, he has been married forever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Hell or High Water is the is the that's movie it. you were what talking about. Twenty sixteen. You should watch that. Hell or High Water. That's an excellent. Okay. I'm telling you, that's an excellent movie. Chris Pine, who I yeah. think is great. It's a really really good film. Ben Foster, uh, Jeff Bridges, mm-hmm. uh, and no one else I've heard of. Yeah, it's a family. It's a little family drama. These guys are up to no good, and there's Jeff Bridges. Okay, excellent. all right, I'll excellent. look into that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just looking here. Anything it is else? Internet, that... internet movie database. Yes. I mean, so much. Just. I mean, he he does have so many things. I'm just trying to pick like the things that most people would know. Sea Biscuit. Oh yeah, 
I never saw that. What? Didn't you? What? I know, and I never read it's it. It's a precursor to, to, to Louis Zamperini. I, I feel, right? yeah, I feel badly about it. That's a great film. Very 1920s, 1930s. Okay. Nice period. Um, what about the old man? So if it's a story about two guys who were involved in intelligence work mm-hmm. decades previous. And do not want to go back And do out. not want to go back. And they end up kind of like Godfather 3, where I keep trying to get out, but they keep dragging they me back keep in. keep on doing it. Right. So Jeff Bridges and um, John, Lithgow. John Lithgow are played. Their characters are played by themselves and yep. also by younger versions of themselves. Yep. Um, so it's kind of a time thing where you go back and see what's happened mm-hmm. and what's going on now. And also judging a Amy, uh, she stars in it. Yeah. Okay, look, if you go back to Jeff Bridges. I can't think of what her name is, Amy. I mean, the, the Fisher King with Robin Williams, that's a great film. Never the, saw that. I mean, Robin Williams plays two type, and, and so does Jeff. I mean, it's really, it's an excellent film. Um, Tron, that's the video game. Oh, yeah. Okay. How about Against All Odds? Oh, that's that's a little sizzle film. Oh, Against All Odds, you mean with Rachel Ward? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. he's in that. Oh, he is it. He is he. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Crazy Heart, of course. He was in King Kong, of all things, which was a debacle. Um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood. I mean, that's way, way, way back. Okay. Uh, the Last Picture Show. Oh, really? Sybil Shepherd. That's 1971. That's a great film, too. Yeah. Tucker. Did you ever see Tucker? Oh, it's a great story about like post-World War II, and it's a true story where a guy is like kind of like Elon Musk in a way. He starts his own car company, and the powers that be conspire against him. You know, General Motors, General Motors, Ford, Dodge. They're like, you can't have a new car company. Yeah, it's a true story. It's a great film. We talked about the fabulous Baker Boys, which we loved. I didn't love that. Oh, didn't you? Oh, <laughs> it was yeah. Fine. I don't think it's like a great film. Okay, I'm not saying it's like you're going to win an Academy Award. Um, uh, Jeff Bridges' spouse is Susan Guestin. They've been married since 77. Excellent. Congratulations mm-hmm. to that couple, right? Yep. I mean, can you imagine what that's like living like that? Because he, he goes away and shoots a film. He's gone for months on end. Yep. Right? Might be the secret to a lot of marriages. I'll see you, babe. I love you. I'm going to go shoot a film. Okay. Uh, they met while filming Rancho Deluxe, hmm. which was on a ranch where Guestin had been working as a waitress. They have three daughters who were born in 81, 83, and 85. Very nice. I'm proud of their father. Happy birthday. Would you say 74? Mm-hmm. Much younger than I thought. Yeah. Anyway, happy birthday to the dude. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.